Hey, what's going on? It's John, and it's time for the Jmart Cast for Monday, August 1st. What's going on, friends and family? How are you? Thank you for listening in on another episode of the Jmart Cast. I'm very late this week. I had a sweet little getaway vacation week at a cottage with the family last week. We came back on a Saturday, and I was pretty tired. And Sunday, we went and visited my wife's sister, and not a lot of time was free for myself to be able to uh, record the podcast. And then today, Monday, I went and visited a friend and got back home late. So finally, it's 10 p.m. on Monday. I have some free time to record the latest episode of the Jmart cast. So thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for coming back. Appreciate you all. My one loyal listener who listens in every week. Appreciate you, buddy. You know who you are. You're the bomb. Thanks for coming in and listening back to the Jmart cast. By the way, anyone listening, if you haven't had a chance yet, could you please rate the podcast and also share it with a friend? Share it with anyone who might be interested in hearing about a little bit of health and fitness here and there. And also, more importantly, talking about Bitcoin, talking about money financial security things related to that so what are we going to talk about this week um just wanted to talk about two things first vitamin d i have a nice little thread on vitamin d from twitter that i'd like to share so the excuse me a little burp there <laughs> There's an account on Twitter called Cooking with Chris. He spelled, no, sorry, not cooking, Cook with Chris. Cooking with Chris is the name, but the actual account with the at sign, at Cook with Chris with three O's, C-O-O-O-K with Chris. He's got a nice little thread here that was posted today on Monday. It says, a guide to vitamin D. One of the most common nutrient deficiencies, yet one of the most important for our health. That's very true. This is something I covered in a podcast episode from my State of Health podcast. If you haven't checked that one out yet, it's episode number 12. It's called Get a Big Dose of the D, Vitamin D, Top 7 Factors in Production and Use. Check that out. I go over some of the basic things like, you know, what is vitamin D? It's a nutrient and a fat-soluble steroid hormone. What does it do? It's very important for bone health, but it's also important for many other things. It's involved in the expression of over a thousand genes throughout the body. So it's very important. Where do we get it from? We get it from sunlight and diet. What is the optimal level of vitamin D in the blood and what is defined as vitamin D deficiency? So if you're measuring with the, uh, what is it? I guess if you're measuring with the, uh, nanograms per milliliter measurement, then 30 to 80 nanograms per milliliter of, uh, let's see, what kind of vitamin D is it? I can't remember. I think 25 hydroxy vitamin in the blood is considered optimal. And if it's less than 20, you're considered deficient. And then in that uh, State of Health podcast about vitamin D, I also talk about the top seven factors that affect vitamin D production and use in the body. And so those I'll quickly go over. One, use of sunscreen can diminish vitamin D production. 
significantly from sunlight. Melanin, if you have a lot of melanin in the skin, that will also decrease vitamin D production. Age, as you age and get older, vitamin D production decreases. Uh, number four, levels of magnesium. If you have low levels of magnesium, that has a big impact on vitamin D production as well. Uh, levels of boron in the body. Low levels of boron lead to low vitamin D production as well. Vitamin K is also important to have high levels of vitamin K for optimal vitamin D production. And lastly, body fat. People with high levels of body fat to actually produce vitamin D just fine, but because uh, vitamin D is a fat-soluble steroid hormone. It will get basically stuck in the fat and will not be released and be bioavailable in the rest of the body. So yeah, that's my quick little summary of my vitamin D uh, podcast that I did last year. Please check it out on my YouTube page, Jmart Fit. Just um, sure if you just search state of health, vitamin D, it should pop up. Anyways, going back to the thread from uh, Twitter with Cooking with Chris, he says, because of the unnatural modern lifestyle, it is estimated that over 50% of the population is deficient in vitamin D. This has a huge impact on our health, yet many people don't pay attention to it or just pop a supplement and think they don't have to worry about it. Deficiency in vitamin D is linked to increased rates of, first of all, all cows mortality, uh, also various cancers, heart disease, low testosterone, osteoporosis, depression, diabetes. There's a lot of bad chronic diseases here which are associated with a deficiency in vitamin D. So it's really important, really, really important to make sure you don't let that happen. Studies show that over 80% of COVID-19 hospitalizations were deficient in vitamin D. Just a clear example as to how important it is to make sure you're not deficient. Okay. Although called a vitamin, it is actually a steroid hormone that is produced from cholesterol cholesterol when your skin is, is exposed to sun. This is something I go over in my podcast as well. Check it out. I go over some of the uh, uh, mechanical aspects of this, what, what it means and kind of, uh, you know, some of the blood tests that can be done to check what your levels are. Anyways, um, here kind of covers some of this actually in, in the next part of the thread here. It says vitamin D is first turned into calcidiol by your liver, then converted to calcitriol, which is an active form. It then binds to vitamin D receptor, which is found in almost every cell in your body, turning genes on and off. So a couple of really important things here. First of all, Every cell in the body has a vitamin D receptor, which is crazy. Like this just goes to show how important uh, vitamin D is. Like it can have an impact on every cell in the body. Second of all, something I kind of skimmed over, but it is produced from cholesterol in your skin. So, you know, people are always afraid of cholesterol. Oh, you got some bad cholesterol. Oh, you shouldn't be eating that butter or those eggs or whatever. Well, that's all wrong because every cell in your body has vitamin D receptors which can bind and turn on and off a bunch of genes and regulate the body and that vitamin D comes from cholesterol so if someone tells you all oh, bad cholesterol is bad for you just 
don't even listen to what they have to say. Like that's a red flag that they probably have a lot of other stuff that they're telling you that's probably not true. Anyway, moving on. However, it is extremely important for, so D, vitamin D is extremely important for immune function, protection against cancer, important for mental health, hormone production. There are two forms of dietary vitamin D. There's vitamin D3 and vitamin D2. Uh, the best sources of vitamin D3 come from cod liver, salmon, egg yolks, tuna. Uh, in the podcast that I've referenced multiple times already, and State of Health episode number 12, please check it out. I go over all the best sources of vitamin D3 food sources and vitamin D2 as well, although vitamin D2 is not as good as D3, so... Um, you get vitamin D2 from plant sources and mushroom, whereas D3 is from, uh, sorry, D2 from plant sources and mushrooms, whereas D3 is from animal sources. Studies show that D3 is twice as effective at raising blood levels compared to D2. Yeah, that's what, that's from the Twitter thread there, confirming what I just said. Okay, going on. He says, the source of your food also matters. Studies show that egg yolks from hens living outdoors in sunlight had three to four times more vitamin D3 compared to hens living indoors. And mushrooms that are grown or dried in the sun also have significantly higher vitamin D. He goes on, although it is important to eat vitamin D rich foods, there is no better way to increase your vitamin D levels than sunshine. And here are some things you can do to maximize it. Yeah, absolutely. Like you don't want to rely on just diet as a way of making sure you have enough vitamin D. The best way is sunshine. Get outside. Let the sun hit your skin. Don't use too, too much sunscreen. And that's actually the next thing he goes on to say here in the thread. So here are some things that you can do to maximize it. Number one, no sunscreen. Studies show that SPF 30 will filter out 97% of vitamin D. Am I saying to go outside and get absolutely fried by the sun? No. Ideally, you would get bare sun exposure for as long as you can tolerate, then go in the shade when you've had enough. Yeah, makes sense. Just use common sense. Don't fry yourself to a crisp. You know, expose yourself to the sun. I like 30 minutes at a time or so, and then, you know, make sure you're well protected in some shade. You have, If you have no choice but to be out in the sun for an extended period of time, don't use sunscreen for the first 30 to 60 minutes, then apply a mineral-based sunscreen. The main ingredient should be zinc oxide as conventional sunscreens are highly toxic. To be honest, I don't know whether conventional sunscreens are highly toxic, but I wouldn't be surprised if they are. And they're a pretty fairly new product, right? Like people didn't use to slather um, yeah, sunscreen on them. So like what do people used to do? when they used to live in, in like really sunny places, like humans come from tropical areas where, you know, you get a lot of sun exposure. Like what do they used to do? Do they just like live in, be in shady areas all, all day long, never expose themselves to the sun? Or is it possible that skin has an ability to adapt and, you know, not get fried if you just expose yourself to the sun at like, you know, the real realistic, not, not, you know, over the top levels. Anyway, moving on. Number two for the list of things that can be done to maximize uh, deep production from sunshine. The more skin exposed, the better. The more skin exposed to the sun, the more ability your skin will be able to convert to vitamin D. 
yeah, that that one's obvious, right? Like if you just got like your hands and your face exposed and everything else covered, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna produce less vitamin D than if you've got your um, you know more more skin from your arms, your legs, your chest, whatever exposed as well. Next, number three, you need magnesium. I already mentioned this from as from the reference to my podcast, but yeah, magnesium is very important. It's another very common deficiency that has many side effects of its own, but also plays a big role in vitamin D levels. So magnesium assists in the synthesis, transport, and activation of vitamin D. So in all the different kind of uh, parts of the vitamin D journey from the time where it gets created to where it gets transported to where it needs to go to when it's active to actually do the things it's supposed to do, all those things are impacted by the presence of magnesium. So make sure you're getting good levels of magnesium. Um, in my podcast, I do talk about the best sources of food for magnesium. Uh, number four, if you have dark skin, you need even more sun. Having more melanin reduces your ability to synthesize vitamin D from the sun and studies show darker, darker individuals have a greater risk of being deficient. Yeah. So if you're highly vitamin D deficient, either expose yourself to sun more or supplement with higher doses. Number five, watch the sunrise and sunset. Although UV is higher midday, watching the sunrise and sunset can help build your solar callus. What is a solar callus? Making you more tolerant to sun. I'm going to try searching solar callus here. What the hell is that? Okay, if you Google search solar callus, you get the first topic is, or not topic the first uh, article that pops up is from ra optics how to how to sun tan safely and get the benefits of sunlight daily solar callus let's see melanin nature's best sunscreen melanin is a natural skin pigment that determines the color of your skin hair and eyes the lighter your skin, the lower your melanin content. The darker your skin, the higher the melanin content. It is also our inbuilt defense mechanism protecting us from the damaging effects of ultraviolet. The content in your skin changes with the environment, increasing with sun exposure, declining without it. So all we need to do is gradually increase the time we are in the sun and our skin will adapt. By doing this, you will develop a natural solar callus that will protect you without the need uh, for manufactured processed sunscreen all right ra optics there you go the solar callus i kind of get it now like calluses like on your hands when you're i guess uh, lifting weights or doing a lot of hanging from bars right you'll develop calluses to protect your hands so this is the solar callus to protect your skin from being burnt interesting all right well there you go we just learned something together <laughs> Or maybe I just learned it by myself and you laughed at me as I was learning it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Another thing here for the list of things to do to maximize vitamin D production. Don't use harsh soap after sunbathing. It can take three days to complete the process once pre-vitamin D is formed on the skin. Immediately washing the skin with harsh soap will remove vitamin D precursors. You can rinse well with water and only use soap in targeted areas. Interesting. Was not aware of that. Okay, vitamin K2. I mentioned this already earlier. Vitamin D and K2 work synergistically to ensure that calcium is distributed to our bones. 
right? So if you don't have low K2, even if you have adequate levels of vitamin D, you might not get the impact of what you're trying to get vitamin D to do, which is to distribute calcium to the bones. So K2 is very important. I believe you can get that from liver and other organ meats. Anyway, moving on in the thread, symptoms of vitamin D deficiency can be subtle or take years to show themselves. That is why it is always wise to get tested to see where your levels are. Now, if you live in a very cloudy area, supplementation may be necessary to get your levels up. With that being said, a supplement will never be as good as producing it from the sun. Get as much as you can, tolerate, and watch your life improve drastically, both physically and mentally. Yeah, definitely agree with this thread. Uh, I'll plug shamelessly my podcast episode, State of Health number 12, one more time. Uh, check it out. Um, goes into detail about all this. Sunlight's very important, guys, uh, for many reasons, not just vitamin D3. All right, moving on, talking about Bitcoin real quick, and then I'll end the podcast for this week. Let's see, what are we, what are we, what block height are we at? Block height 747,581. Bitcoin's trading at 22,971. US dollars for one Bitcoin. One US cuck buck will buy you 4,356 Satoshis. Satoshi is the smallest subunit of a Bitcoin. One Bitcoin can be subdivided into 100 million Satoshis. If you want to stack sats and you live in Canada, ShakePay is a good good way to do so. Um, I have a referral code that you can use. Check out the description for this podcast and you can find a referral code in there. Um, what is there to say about Bitcoin? Here's what I wanted to cover today. There's this um, website called darejigi.com. D-E-R-G-I-G-I.com. GG is just like a pseudonym of a Bitcoiner online. And he's got a website where he publishes articles about Bitcoin. And I came across this one. It's called The Words We Use in Bitcoin. So it's a pretty cool article. I just wanted to read a little section of it. I thought it was uh, worth sharing. It's talking about all these terms used in Bitcoin and what they mean and how they're a little bit, you know, misleading so it's good to clarify what they are so let's get started so Gigi goes goes on to say in this article it can be said often bitcoin is confusing however it's not complicated like a rube goldberg machine is complicated wait a second before i move on i need to google search what the hell is a rube goldberg who the hell is rube goldberg and what is his what is the rube goldberg machine All right, here we go. Rube Goldberg is an American comic book creator. And there's a Wikipedia page for the Rube Goldberg machine. Uh, Let's see. Named after the American cartoonist, Rube Goldberg is a chain reaction type machine or contraption intentionally designed to perform a simple task in an indirect and impractically overly complicated way. (laughs) Uh, There's a picture here of like a dude uh sitting at a table with like this uh strap around his head that has a whole bunch of contraptions <laughs> attached to the head strap including like a clock 
uh, freaking an arm with holding a spoon. There's a bird on there at some point. <laughs> it's a bunch of weird random stuff. It's kind of funny. Okay, so I, I get it. A Rube Goldberg machine is just like an unnecessarily complicated machine. Gotcha. Back to the article. So it's not like that. It's very foreign and thus very misunderstood. It is a completely new thing. There's nothing to relate to it, as Satoshi put it in one of his posts, Satoshi being the creative creator of Bitcoin, the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. Because there's nothing to relate it to, we are all having a hard time wrapping our heads around the various aspects of it. We need to use words if we want to talk about it in a meaningful way, and words are what I will focus on. I want to talk about two things. One, the language used in Bitcoin, and two, the language used to attack Bitcoin. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read about one of the terms he goes on to say. He goes on to define, I mean. Okay, so Gigi says, let's get one thing out of the way. It's all numbers all the way down. Bitcoin does the one thing that all computers do, which is actually two things. It takes certain numbers as inputs, does calculations, and presents the result of said calculations to someone else. In Bitcoin's case, this someone else is another node on the network, or multiple to be precise. When stripped down to its bare essentials, that's all there is to it. Math and messages. Yeah, it's very cool. So it's just basically all these nodes connected to one another through the internet. And the nodes themselves do calculations to ensure that the transactions are valid. The transactions are valid. And then if they're valid, then they pass that transaction to another node that they're connected to. And that's just how it works. So getting back to the article, he says, consequently, we have to use metaphors and lots of them, keys, wallets, addresses, so on. However, here's the thing with metaphors. All metaphors are wrong, but some are useful, to paraphrase George Box. Undoubtedly, many people are are confused precisely because of the shortcomings of these metaphors. All the labels that we apply to the various concepts in Bitcoin are wrong, at least a little bit. Some are wrong a lot. Everyone who ever tried to explain that your Bitcoins are not actually in your Bitcoin wallet to a glossy-eyed newbie knows what kind of confusion I'm talking about. Yeah, this is something I've mentioned on the podcast before. But when you have a wallet and on the wallet it says the amount of Bitcoin that belongs to you, it's not that that wallet actually holds that Bitcoin. It does not. Those Bitcoin are actually on the blockchain, which every node has a copy of the blockchain and the blockchain includes all the addresses that hold the Bitcoin, but you yourself as the owner of the wallet don't have that Bitcoin in the wallet. What you do have is a little secret or also known as a private key, which then that private key gives you the ability to move the Bitcoin on the blockchain from the current address it's in to any other address uh, that you want to. Okay, so Gigi says, uh, first let's go through some of the words we use in Bitcoin and see where they fall short. We all know these words and we usually don't think twice about them. Let's start with wallet. This is the only word I'll go through. So wallet, what is a wallet? A wallet is a piece of software or hardware 
that makes it easier or more secure to store and or spend your Bitcoin. It's easy to see that a wallet is neither one thing nor easily defined. Just look at all the various forms or wallets we came up with over the years. There are paper wallets, brain wallets, hardware wallets, mobile wallets, multi-signature wallets, lightning wallets, watch-only wallets, and many other ones. In the end, we have to understand how Bitcoin operates if we want to get a grip on what a wallet actually is. Here's the gist of it. To create a Bitcoin transaction, you need to sign a message with a private key. Consequently, two things are essential for a wallet, key storage and signing. But that's not enough, usually. To interact with the Bitcoin network, you need to interact with a Bitcoin node. You need a way to access the public information, which is the distributed ledger that is so often mentioned by finance and crypto bros alike. All right, let me see if I can summarize that real quick, what I just said. So in order to create a Bitcoin transaction, you write down a message saying that you will send a certain amount of Bitcoin from an address that is under your control through your private key to a any other address now in order to make that transaction valid you need to have what's called a signature associated with the transaction and you create the signature with the private key but that's not everything then next you need to broadcast that transaction to the bitcoin network so the wallet or the software application of the wallet takes the transaction that you've created with the signature on it and broadcasts it to a node that it's associated with. And then that node takes the transaction that has been created and makes sure that it's valid. And if it's valid, then it broadcasts it to another node that would, um, that it would, it would be connected to. And I guess an important thing to mention here is that the node, each node has a full copy of the blockchain. And that that is why it's able to validate when a new transaction comes in, whether it's a real transaction, a valid transaction or not. Okay, moving on. Gigi says, what we have historically called a Bitcoin wallet thus is just some software that manages and stores keys and allows the user to easily use these keys to sign and broadcast messages. To increase security, said software might be embedded in a dedicated hardware device. The more effort it is to spend your Bitcoins, the lower the risk of theft or loss of funds. A wallet might not have any signing capability at all, as is the case for brain, paper, or watch-only wallets. This begs the question how useful the term wallet is. Yeah, so for example there, he's talking about brain wallets. What is a brain wallet? A brain wallet is just basically a human being remembering what their private key is. It's not really a true wallet because... It's just a way of storing private keys. So your private key is the secret that allows you to move Bitcoin on the blockchain. Um, it's basically a 256-bit um, binary number. And because 256 bits like is a lot of, it's a huge number to remember. It's basically impossible to memorize. There's a way of abstracting it into 12 or 24 words. And so if you 
that and that is easily memorizable. So if you can memorize 12 or 24 words, then you have stored the private key in your brain. So that's a brain wallet. But it's not a true wallet because what we already talked about, a wallet is actually a software application that lets you brought like store the private key, but also sign transactions and broadcast them. So a brain wallet doesn't really do that. So it's not a true wallet. It's, it's just, it's a brain storage system for private keys. <laughs> Same thing with paper wallets. With paper wallets, you, instead of memorizing those 12 or 24 words, you uh, write them down on a piece of paper. And so now you have the private key but you don't have the software that lets you create a transaction, sign it, and broadcast it. So again, it's not a true wallet. It's just a storage of the private key mechanism. So that's kind of what he's talking about in that little paragraph there. And moving on, he says, Interestingly, we've already switched to a different term when it comes to seed storage. So seed storage is that private key I'm talking about, about, which is, for example, that 12-word storage. You can write it down on a piece of paper, like I said. That would be the paper wallet or memorize it. That would be the brain wallet. But you also have the ability to etch those words into metal. Uh, so um, why would you do that, J-Mart? Well, for example, if your house burns down and you have a paper wallet, guess what? That paper is going to burn down and you're going to lose your private key and you won't be able to move your Bitcoin without it. But if you have it written on a metal plate, then it could potentially survive the fire. And so you've solved one point of failure here. So lots of people do this. And like I said, they're not called metal keys or metal wallets. Instead, it's referred to as seed storage or metal seeds or seed plates. Gigi says, I hope that in the future, we will also manage to do away with the generic wallet term. When it comes to hardware wallets, a change of terms is already underway. Given that a hardware wallet is nothing but a simple device that is used for signing transactions, a more accurate term is signing device, which is currently gaining traction thanks to people who understand the technicalities of Bitcoin deeply. Yeah, so a hardware wallet is basically a dedicated device that does not have a copy of the blockchain on it, but it does have the software capability of both securely storing your private key, that uh, 256-bit number that could be abstracted to 12 or 24 words as a way of securely storing that number. Therefore, it has the ability to use it to sign transactions and then if you connect it to the internet, it also has the ability to broadcast that transaction to a node through the internet. And then, yeah, once it's broadcast, then it will be mined in the future block on the blockchain. All right. With that, I think I've come to the end of the podcast for today reached over half an hour over 30 minutes which is usually my goal and hopefully it was interesting to all y'all listening thank you so much for spending the time with me on your mondays although today you won't be listening to this episodes on on a monday at least on the not not on the monday that it's released possibly on a future monday sometime 
All right. Love you all. Thank you for listening as always. Stay active. Be grateful. J-Mart out. <laughs>